to be. Some focus seems to have landed on live service projects as well as VR, but even single player studios like Insomniac and Guerrilla have been affected. And according to analysts, the layoffs will be worse this year than last. So, anticipate more tech and gaming companies targeting reduction of their workforces. Now, I put all of the good information right here at the beginning of the video. It's sort of an opening monologue. And if you like this kind of content, be sure to hit subscribe and the bell button. Also, consider all the various ways you can support the live stream and the channel. If you, A lot of you guys watch these past broadcasts later, and we greatly appreciate that. Consider becoming a member, or if you're a coffee drinker, try out Reforge Roast. It is linked below. That supports us directly. Directly. That's not a sponsor, that is ours. Again, if you like the content, smash like, hit subscribe, hit the bell button, so that way you can be here for the live shows. Well, PlayStation has joined the wave of layoffs in the gaming industry, and while analysts said this year would be worse than last year, it doesn't make this any better for people, the games, or the teams affected. They announced the 900 employee layoffs, which is about 8% of their global workforce, early in the day on February the 27th, and many were quick to call foul or to console war or to theorize what games and what teams were being targeted and why. So first I want to outline what happened. While we know Insomniac would lose some employees after the leaks, the guerrilla layoff surprised me the most. Second, we're going to look at the reactions to this. Many are pointing to earnings and growth and questioning why something like this is still happening. Others are saying that this is inevitable. We have rising costs, we have bloat, we have bigger studios and bigger budgets, and if you look at the Insomniac leaks, they were certainly trying to figure out ways to avoid things like this. Lastly, I will tell you what I think. I had already said that I thought about half of the live service games were not going to make it to market, and it seems that that is coming true. Obviously, for some, that makes it bittersweet, as they didn't want PlayStation to focus so heavily on live service, but it comes at the cost of teams and projects being shut down. So first, what happened? On February the 27th, Jim Ryan sent an internal email, and Herman Holst published an announcement, and Holst indicated the following... Quote, the U.S.-based studios and groups impacted by a reduction in workforce are Insomniac Games, Naughty Dog, as well as our technology, creative, and support teams. In the U.K. and European-based studios, it is proposed that PlayStation Studios' London studio will close in its entirety, that there will be reductions in Guerrilla and Fire Sprite. Now, apparently... The proposed changes for London and Guerrilla and Fire Sprite will enter into a collective consultation before final decisions are taken, which is a tad confusing because VGC has reported the following about Guerrilla. The Amsterdam, Netherlands-based studio plans to lay off about 40 of its over 400 employees, sources told Dutch newspaper. So perhaps they've already done the consultation and they know they're going to be laying off 40 people. And according to the Insomniac leaks, they were going to be asked to eliminate about 50 50 to 75 positions as well and completely closing London studio which is somewhere between 50 and 100 employees according to what Google is telling us that lands in the same count as the reductions at both Gorilla and Insomniac now some were quick to point out that virtually all of the studios targeted had some form of live service game planned London studio had a co-op fantasy game Naughty Dog had the last of us online Gorilla has both their multiplayer horizon game and the MMO that NC soft is allegedly helping with. There was also a confirmed cancellation of a live service Twisted Metal game by Fire Sprite, even though it wasn't already greenlit. It hadn't been greenlit, it was in the very early stages, but another live service game that in the wake of this has been cancelled. Now some might say that Insomniac have no live service plans, 
but according to the leaks, they had multiplayer and online plans for their games. Spider-Man 2, Wolverine, and an apparent X-Men game all had online roadmaps. Fire Sprite and London Studio also had done a good amount of help with some VR work. And when you see the PSVR 2 pledge to get PC support, it's likely that PlayStation is moving away from first-party support of VR and will likely then lean on third-party games as well as the PC audience. If they are attempting to lower costs and seek better profit, VR is a quick and easy cut given the smaller potential sales market and the slow adoption rates that we see with VR devices. And on the topic of live service, I could see PlayStation wanting to reevaluate exactly how much they want to gamble on live service games, given how volatile and challenging they are. Bungie may have caused them to absolutely pump or slam on the brakes, not just because of Bungie's own financial challenges and their own revenue failings, but because of their input. Now we have two paragraphs that I think are worth quoting from the Herman Holst announcement. The first one concerns their narrative-driven games. He says, Delivering the immersive narrative-driven stories that PlayStation Studios is known for at the quality bar that we aspire to requires a re-evaluation of how we operate. Now you will notice... He makes no mention of other platforms here. He does that in a moment when he's talking about live service games. Because I think they are focusing on budgets, but also the Insomniac leaks are helpful here. They were planning, or at the very least, they were considering delivering Spider-Man 3 in a very different way. They would basically break the game in half and sell each of those halves for $50. And they would come out basically one year apart. This would enable them to generate more profit to shoulder the anticipated budget growth of the third game. We also know that Hiroki Totoki made mention of PC recently and that they would be wanting maybe timelines of quicker ports to PC or just expanding more games to PC, maybe moving more of the library. And I predicted that when the PS6 finally lands, they will be considering more day and date options for PC. As Helldivers 2 has shown them, when you have a hot ticket item, it's really nice to be in two storefronts. Now, on the subject of live service games, he said the following. Delivering and sustaining social online experiences allowing PlayStation gamers to explore our worlds in different ways, as well as launching games on additional devices, such as PC and mobile, requires a different approach and different resources. Again, this is just restating what they have said many, many times. PC and mobile is part of their plan, and live service games will certainly be on PC day and date. They have indicated this before. And depending on the game, maybe even mobile. They might even consider a future handheld mobile as well, as we've heard rumors they are planning to make an actual handheld as the PS Portal While it's doing well, that's more of an accessory to the PS5. Now, those audiences, I think, PC and mobile, are going to be key to future growth in gaming. So before I move on to how folks are reacting to this, I do want to touch on something that people have taken pretty sharp issue with. Jim Ryan visited London Studios so that they could bid him farewell before he retires in just five days, before they found out they were being closed down. Now, obviously, the initial reaction is, how could you? Why would you visit a studio and be like, hey, you know, see you guys later, I'm retiring, and then five days later, you let them know they're being closed down. This kind of feels like a lose-lose situation because if Jim Ryan is doing a farewell tour before he retires, skipping over London Studios, I think, would look just as bad if not worse, like he couldn't even pay them the respect of visiting them before they were closed down. Situations like this are awful. At the very least, this wasn't right before Christmas, like some of the layoffs in 2023. So, what are some of the reactions 
to this. Well, the first response I saw was on the angry side of things. People were saying, you know, don't just blame this on the 2020 pandemic. Don't just hand wave this away. They made 2.2 billion. And listen, I get it. I understand the indignation and the frustration. Decisions like this are not always directly in response to what just happened, though. We can't just look at how good things have been or how good things might be this year. It's going to be a huge year for gaming. A lot of these companies are making these decisions because of where things seem to be headed. The economy of gaming is stabilizing. We are going back to pre-pandemic numbers, and that's going to affect profit, which is going to affect how much workforce these companies need. Continued commentary from folks who are in the industry is that the budgets are just too big and the business is heading toward being unsustainable. Some of the most successful studios and franchises got hit with layoffs. And even in the face of that, companies are saying, we have to trim. Things are getting too costly. Also, nobody wants to hand wave layoffs, but analysts were predicting this for months. The overhiring that took place was going to lead to this, which is in line with another response that I saw. I saw people saying, listen, the staff increases in 2020 and 2021 were necessary, and these reductions are also necessary. This is honestly the cold hard truth of it. I've seen analysts speculate that this year will be pretty bad for layoffs, but hiring in 2025 will then be a slower regrowth period that will allow for healthier and more stable growth. Also, according to a recent Q&A, Sony indicated that they see their high operating costs hitting its peak in fiscal year 2023, and they anticipate those costs declining by 20% in fiscal year 2024. That will certainly help out with profit margins, which is some of the reasons they're doing this now the reason for those operating costs going down are highly related to how they paid for bungie over time and not all at once but that q a answer also probably anticipated the eight percent reduction in workforce helping them to bring their operating costs down you can't criticize playstation and point out how high their operating costs are and then be surprised when they try to reduce costs I'm seeing a piece of feedback that I do also agree is a bit worrying as somebody who bought into the VR2. People are saying PSVR2 is dead. I love my PSVR2 and I love my MetaQuest 3, but VR is such a hard sell. And it's such a small market share compared to consoles or PCs. I also was very critical of the PSVR2 last year. I said they needed more first-party games at the quality of Call of the Mountain and Gran Turismo 7. I was also very disappointed in the steady flow of low-quality VR ports from third-party VR companies. After buying a few games that simply were not ready at launch, I stopped paying attention to the PSVR 2 game announcements. And the recent news that the PSVR 2 will be PC-compatible, I believe is a smart move, but it probably signals a shift into leaning more on third-party games rather than their own investments, which is a bummer because I think the PSVR 2 is a great VR experience. I understand It's a difficult thing to invest money in right now. It's a very small market share. You're not going to get a lot of ROI and profit from people buying VR games because there's so few people that actually have the devices. The best of the three that I've tried across VR 2, MetaQuest 3, and the Pico was the PSVR 2. It had, I think, the best experience and the best graphics, and being able to harness the power of PCs might help it as a device. So, on the token of people claiming that the PSVR 2 is dead, some are also claiming, well, the live service games are out. 
I think folks are getting a little ahead of themselves here. Helldivers 2 is currently crushing it and exceeding all sales and engagement expectations. I said last year that the 12 planned live service games were likely going to get chopped down to about 6. I felt PlayStation was far too ambitious in their initial plans. And I think Bungie's sobering report to one of PlayStation's best developers, Naughty Dog, was a bit of a wake-up call. I think PlayStation realized that delving into live service would be more challenging than they initially thought. And with rising costs and rising budgets, some of those plans and projects are likely being shelved in addition to ones that have been just flat-out cancelled. Now, I've also seen a response that I think is worthy of mention. People are saying 8% is actually low compared to other layoffs. People are saying whenever you're at 10% or lower on layoffs, that's just waste reduction. Now, I'm not trying to be crass to the people that have been laid off. This is something people have been observing about 8% is actually fairly low. Now, this is certainly true and likely no level of comfort is going to be brought to the people that are laid off by saying, well, it's a small number. But when some studios are laying off 20% of their staff, like the studio behind Life is Strange or Epic laid off 16%, Supermassive is laying off 30%, Embracer Group reportedly is planning on laying off roughly 50%. Well, the 8% doesn't suddenly become a good number in light of that, but given the reach of tech and gaming layoffs, it seems like this is far less reactionary and less destructive. So let me give you my thoughts on this. First, since the Insomniac leaks, we knew this was coming, and the analysts made it clear layoffs in 2024 would be worse than 2023. And I only say this because the indignation and the cries of how terrible this is, I guess I just have a question. What should these companies have done instead? Should they have ignored market realities, just pressed on and risk greater financial trouble and greater job loss? Take the devs that are having to let people go, like the people behind Life is Strange. Should they have just pressed on and pretended that the market wasn't recalibrating to post-pandemic levels? And then they could risk far bigger damages and loss and cause more people to lose their jobs or maybe the entire studio has to shut down. I get it. It's upsetting. It is. But analysts were saying this was coming because it was a predictable and necessary outcome. More than that, they've also predicted healthier hiring going into 2025, which will help the industry stabilize. Again, I know this is no comfort to anybody that's been laid off, but the alternative would have been far worse. And I know that many will point to instances where C-suite employees shoulder the burden by foregoing bonuses or other things to help avoid layoffs. But this is obviously far bigger than that. When a company of PlayStation size reduces 8% of its workforce, I don't think you're just going to find that in a couple of C-suite bonuses. I also think this is far more than just trimming to save money. They're re-evaluating how they bring games to market in a profitable way. I think Jim Ryan's virtuous cycle has some weak points that got exposed. I've been saying, listen, devs can become too big, and it ends up working against efficiency, and it works against profitability. And that is, I think, a potential lesson learned here. It was claimed on Twitter. I don't know if this is exactly accurate, but it looked solid to me. So take this at, at just you know with a grain of salt. But it was claimed on Twitter that Spider-Man 1 versus Spider-Man 2 saw a huge jump in just the writing team alone. And I consistently pointed out to how teams under PlayStation ownership were growing. They were doing lots of hiring. Well, it seems maybe they got too close to the sun. Herman Hulse said that in the announcement that growth itself is not an ambition. Basically, growth can work against their aims. 
to bring games efficiently and profitably to the market. I recently observed that smaller dev teams are able to take risks, and they're more agile. They can pivot, they can make adjustments in an easier way. The monster AAA studios and games are like aircraft carriers. They're big, they're costly, and they're really tough to turn. I also think many PlayStation fans will welcome it if they're re-evaluating their live service plans. Again, Helldivers 2 is a breakout, and others could do the same, but... Avoiding risk is key right now, given the projections and the rising costs and those shrinking margins. So while this doesn't feel like the result of an acquisition or overspending or something that is tectonic like what Embracer Group is doing, overall, I think we can agree that layoffs suck, even if they are necessary. But that's just what I think. What do you think? So let me give you my closing thoughts and conclusion on this. Covering layoffs in the industry is challenging, right? We follow the devs on Twitter. We like them. We like their games. You start to like think like, oh man, there's everything's great. But I think having to balance being factual and logical with empathy for the people who have lost their jobs, it's just a tightrope. On one hand, everybody can go full empathy and rage and just get really angry on Twitter. And on the other hand, people can be very dismissive and they can be very cold and be like, well, this is just how the industry goes. I think we can hold both empathy for our fellow man. We can hold empathy and cold hard facts in both hands. They're sort of limiting concepts. They keep us from falling into the ditches of extremes the second thing i want to say is people who this has happened to they didn't deserve this they didn't cause this this is not their fault and in time i hope and i think that can be a comfort this is not a judgment of their value or their worth as a person or their worth or value as an employee it's a giant machine that is making adjustments to avoid worse problems So again, the silver lining to this is that those who have been laid off, they are not the cause. They are not the problem. They are the collateral damage. My conclusion is this. As the industry course corrects and evaluates budgets, dev team size, and and how games are developed, I think a few things are going to result from this. In the coming years, we're going to see less and less of these super devs and these super games. I think an emergent property from all of this will be the rise of the AA studio in the 100 to 300 employee range. I've also said that I think this means we will see more $40 and $50 games. That doesn't mean that super games and super devs are going away. We will still see $70 and likely even $80 games at some point, which I think will be good for the consumer. You're going to have plenty of options and various game sizes and types to choose from. And I also think something that will come from this is more acquisitions. The biggest players are going to try to gobble up a lot of these studios because the studios are going to feel exposed and at risk. Sadly, that means a lot of the IP will be shored up and potentially shuttered, and more layoffs will probably result. Hopefully, independent third-party studios can survive and avoid feeling the need to be bought. If that means they have to lay people off now, that's probably better than what would happen if they were acquired. So for now, it seems that PlayStation's making adjustments to their immediate plans for live service as well as PSVR 2. And while I see nothing tectonic or seismic happening in the immediate future, minor adjustments like this can set long tail trajectories into the future. More pushing into PC and mobile, a little less bullish with their ambitious live service plans, and hopefully a maintained commitment to the games and the properties that got them where they are. But those are just my thoughts. Now it's time to hear your thoughts. 
And that's the show open, guys. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I appreciate you being here so, so much. Be sure to smash that like button. Go through all your morning rituals. Uh, Make sure you are subscribed to the channel. If you do want to talk in the chat, that is the only requirement is to be a subscriber. We do a members-only Q&A later in the stream, so if you want to make sure you're a member, uh, select the $6 member tier. That's the standard member tier. The $5 member tier is reserved for gifteds. And uh, we have tons of people gifting all the time. And currently we are setting our sights on 3,000 members once again. We've been kind of hitting that goal every week and maintaining, which has been awesome. And if we do that next week, the first Friday in March, we will do a huge community game night. So be sure you have everything connected to the Discord for that. And don't forget all the other various ways you can support the channel. We have sponsors listed below. We work with Into the AM. They supply basically the t-shirts that I wear, the glasses that I wear for Gamer Advantage, and then there is the coffee. So we appreciate all the people that support this channel on a daily and weekly basis. It's because of you that we're able to do the shows uh, as consistently as we do. We do this full time and we would not be able to do it without you. And a single gifted comes in from Lord Horg and he starts us off right. Han shot first and so did you. Thank you so much. But we also have five coming in from Behemoth. Behemoth drops a five bomb on the channel and takes us to six members already and I gift back as well every 25 I give five back to you guys so thank you guys so much for pushing that number every single day and uh what is that from Ica Gang we have a two dollar tip dog eat dog world loyalty to these companies means nothing if a company offers you more money to jump ship just do it well I, you know, I don't know if anybody right now is going to be getting headhunted. I don't think that's going to be happening. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. You're basically saying these companies will let you go if they need to, right? That's, that's just what they're going to do. So if you get a better offer, go somewhere else for sure, for sure. I mean, there's people that move. There's people that get new jobs. Like I said, I think that you can hold empathy in one hand and the cold hard facts in another. It's like this sucks. This is terrible. It stinks that people have to lose their jobs. But in the other hand, you're holding the cold hard facts of like, this was unavoidable. These companies aren't doing this to be mean or unkind. It's not because they were reckless and they were like overspending or, you know, doing things that were that were like poor, poor business practice. They reacted to a global situation and now everything's returning to pre-pandemic numbers. And if in 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 addition to that, there's compounding effects here, right? They're not just returning to pre-pandemic numbers. We're seeing budgets go up. We're you know there's obviously inflation. There's global currency things going on as as well that makes it more difficult to sell your hardware and your property in other places. When global currencies fluctuate and suddenly are worth less money, people tend to tighten up. When countries are fighting with each other, people tend to tighten up and spend less. There's so many factors going into this i just think the oversimplification of these people are incredibly greedy and awful and it's like i don't necessarily think that is the reality here i mean last year when we covered some of the layoffs i remember we looked at the hiring that some of these companies had done because if you saw the one headline it was like oh microsoft laid off like ten thousand people it was like holy cow but then you looked at five years of their hiring and they still had more employees than they had five years ago like you have to consider that like some of these companies are just 
whoa and a big one a 20 bomb comes in from christopher and he's not just a 20 bomb he's agents of chaos as he by himself pushes us past the 25 mark i greatly appreciate that i now oops i now owe you guys five members that's absolutely incredible christopher wright also renewed his membership for 29 months in a vip extremely generous Paul said, how is 8% a small number when PlayStation didn't grow staff count over 2019 to 2022? It's so misleading. Uh, I'm not saying, I wasn't trying to be misleading. I was saying compared to what other people are doing, right? How much staffing did all those other companies do? The companies that are doing 20%, 30%. I compared it to Embracer. They're saying they're going to do 50%. Did, did, did Embracer do a bunch of hiring? You know what I'm saying? Eugene says in 2020 Naughty Dog was 300 and by 2022 they have more than doubled but PS Studios didn't grow don't be dumb Insomniac grew to over 500 just last year no growth though yeah Paul what you're saying is not accurate these companies did grow we pointed to the fact that they grew we pointed to the fact that they were hiring they they avoided the layoffs last year they avoided them like this is their first round of layoffs and I have been told I've been told by somebody at the company that this is when they do layoffs. They will not be doing layoffs throughout the year. Now, I'm not an expert, but they waited till right before the fiscal year switched to do this. I don't think you're going to be seeing like trickle layoffs from PlayStation. This is it. They've done their 8%. That's it for the year. And that course correction is one you're going to see from tons of companies. Like, look at the developers that are having to do this. A developer that makes, like, Life is Strange. They're not like, yippee, our C-suite's gonna make more money. They're like, if we don't do this, we're in trouble. Like, the market is shifting and readjusting, and if we don't adjust with it, we're gonna be in a bad, bad way. Like I said in the show open, like, what's the alternative? They just don't do anything? They just ride it out? And then what? And then potentially have to let more people go. Or potentially have to shut down. Like, that's no comfort to the people that have been laid off. But, like, there's two things that happen. Empathy for the people being laid off is totally fine and good. Anger at the companies for doing this. It's like, what's the alternative? Like, these people that want to, like, armchair Monday morning quarterback giant, giant corporations... And people are going to say, well, you negatively covered the Blizzard, Activision Blizzard layoffs. Yeah, because Microsoft already did their layoffs last year. They did 10,000. Now, we don't know what percentage of that was in the gaming world, but the ABK layoffs were directly related to the acquisition. That's according to Phil Spencer in his own letter. There's a giant difference between being like acquisitions directly lead to layoffs and saying everybody's laying off this year. That's not the same thing. They generally do layoffs this time to avoid paying performance bonuses as well. Uh, Melee with 26 months in a VIP and Wired Rope with a 5-bomb takes us to 31. Well, of course, Detective Seeds. You're, you're like, I'm not trying to be cold about this, but do you really want to hand a bunch of bonuses to people that are that, that you're letting go? You've determined that they're either underperformers or they're redundant? We've seen analysis of some of this. That they've tar- they're going to target the underperformers. They're going to target either the studios or the projects that aren't doing what they need them to do or they're not hitting what they need them to hit. And you want to hand all those people bonuses before laying them off? Like, if you're trying to cut costs, that's, you know, that's not going to go in line with that. Like, oh yeah, we're trying to cut costs, so let's make sure and hand bonuses to 900 people before we let them go. Like, 
And I know people are going to be like, well, that's cold, that's mean, that's harsh. And it's like, that's business. That's what these businesses do. There's no, there's no nice way to lay somebody off. There isn't. That's that trend right now where it's all over TikTok. They'll record themselves being laid off and they're incensed at the idea that they aren't given a reason why. And it's like, you're not going to be given a reason why because they're making budgetary adjustments. They're not firing you for misconduct. They're not firing you because you didn't hit your goals or that you're bad at your job. They're going to pick the the newest employees. They're going to pick the people that are the greenest. They're going to pick the people that are either underperforming or lower on performance. That doesn't mean that you're bad or that you're being fired because you suck. It's just like that's what they're going to do. They're going to scrape and say, what can we do across the bottom on all these companies? What are non-essentials? What are, what are non-performers or underperformers? That, that is absolutely a necessary thing in the world of business. Like that, this idea that these companies are evil for doing it. I, I get that there's analysis that, you know, layoffs can be a social contagion and then they're not really necessary. No analysts are saying that right now. Nobody's saying that. And another 20 bomb comes in from Christopher Wright. He says, I'm going to double dip on Agent of Chaos. And he does. He moves us past 50. This guy's a stinking maniac today. Holy cow. The problem is they will give them the bonus if they sign a non-compete. Happens all the time. So they'll put in the work to earn the bonus and then they cut them before having to pay out. Well, what you're doing now is pure speculation, which is pointless, Detective Siege. You know I like you, but getting lost in the weeds of you speculating what they're doing to people's bonuses, why why even go down that road? We have no idea what they did to bonuses and what they did to these employees. They laid them off. There's 900 people laid off. Speculating and presuming that bonuses have been cut or they dangle a bonus and then sucker punch the employee you don't know that and you don't know how any of this was handled so there's no way that we can speak on that with any sense of authority if every company is laying people off because analysts are saying this is coming this is not what we've seen before where layoffs can become a social contagion where it's like well these guys are laying off we need to lay off too because the C-suite just wants to pad their either their numbers or their bonuses or they're trying to get the shareholders happy Everybody said, this is coming. We are readjusting to pre-2021 numbers. 2020 and 2021 was this explosion. They hire, they spend, they invest, and they're adjusting back down. Now, dollars to donuts, every single one of these studios that had growth and hired, just like Bungie, they're still going to have more employees than they did in 2020, in 2021. So... That's another perspective that I think is important here. And I was fair to Microsoft. I said the same thing when I looked at that. They laid off 10,000 people, which on paper looks insane. But then when you looked at their hiring, it's like they've been hiring like crazy for the last five or seven years. And they still have more people than they did pre-layoff. That's why when you see the 10,000, you're like, oh my gosh, that's insane. Well, Microsoft's enormous. And they started hiring, I think it was 2017. I, ha- I haven't seen the chart in a while. My memory is that around 2017, there was this big uptick in hiring from them. And they and then they shaved. They shaved down, but they still netted more employees. 
So the tech sector and the gaming sector is still growing. They're just making adjustments. It's like you can't have infinite growth. You can't just keep adding employees. You can't just keep adding projects because that leads to literally that leads to financial ruin if you just keep going. You can't just ignore all the warning signs and all the road signs that say you absolutely need to settle down. You need to calm down, trim down because you're going to get too expensive. I thought it was reported on that that is what happened. I'm happy to retract that if that didn't happen in this particular situation. Well, who reported that that happened? And what studio? So you're saying every studio, they did that? They say, oh yeah, we're not going to give you your bonuses or we'll give you a bonus if you sign a non-compete? Can you even get somebody to sign a non-compete when you lay them off? Is that even a thing? Eugene says, I think I'm just at the point of why do I care about these workers any more than any other workers? And I realize that I don't. Um, I care more about them because it's attached to the industry. It's attached to the industry that I like. I am being told by somebody at the company, the laid off employees or the laid off people got severance and their bonus. It was announced they would get severance benefits. I confirmed from laid off employee that they got a bonus. There you go. That's exactly why I said we shouldn't be speculating about that. I now have it on very good authority that at least one person, you could say that's anecdotal, but we've got an internal thing saying it and then somebody confirming, I got my bonus. So quite the opposite of of what you were suggesting was going on. That's why we always got to be careful. Like you hear whispers and you're like, well, I hear these companies do this. And it's like, well, settle down. Do we know that even happened? Like, do we even know that that's what they did or what that's their motivation? I'm hearing quite literally the opposite from somebody that I trust. I like the tool industry. I don't follow tool industry layoffs. Well, Eugene, there's a giant difference between a tool that you buy and put in your shed and creative work because creative work is appreciated and enjoyed I think at a deeper level than the drill that you bought you really like it it's shiny and it's new and it's nice and you like to do home improvement projects and it aids you in that work but creative work is different like It's why people got so upset when they saw actors being mistreated because actors give us something that is more meaningful than a drill. It's more meaningful to us than a car because our cars and our phones and our computers and our and our tools, they are merely pieces of our daily life that help us do stuff. Video games and movies and TV shows are immersive experiences that we enjoy at a deeper level as a human being. So I I can't look at the gaming industry and be like, yeah, I don't care about these employees any more than I care about these employees over here. Well, no, they directly impact my life in a way that I don't want to see. And that's why I said we can hold empathy and the cold hard facts in our hands. Yes, I feel bad for people that have been laid off. That sucks. It's untethering. It's scary. Some of these people have children they're providing for, bills to pay, medical bills. It's immediately like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Right? So I can hold empathy in one hand, but I can hold the cold hard facts in another hand and be like, I don't want the industry or these studios to close down. I want them to keep making the products that I love. This is necessary for these companies to keep going and to stay profitable. 
It's part of business. I think you can hold both realities in your hand. These people that want to go off in like, you know, empathy rage land and just yell at the companies, I don't think you're achieving anything. I think you just end up looking foolish. And the people that just go off in cold, hard facts land and are just dismissive and act like this doesn't matter, it's like, I don't think either extreme is helpful. Joker Quinn gifts a member. Thank you so much and takes us to 52 members on the day. They're not any more worthy of empathy than any other group. I'm not saying they're more worth empathy. That's not what I'm arguing. I'm saying from my perspective, I'm more invested in caring about them than I am the employee that makes bolts for cars because their work directly impacts me more. I'm not saying they're worthy of it more than the guy making the bolts. I'm saying for me personally, I have a more vested interest to care about this than what happens in the car industry. You know, like, I'll give you an example. When there was the giant chipset shortage and we couldn't get PlayStation 5s and Xboxes, I was really irritated by that. Now, it also directly affected car manufacturing. I didn't give a rip about that. Why? Because I'm not selling or buying cars. It's not part of my daily life. I have a car. It works. So I didn't care. It didn't matter to me. I cared about the fact that I couldn't get a dadgum PlayStation 5. Or, you know, I cared about the fact that, you know, friends of mine or you guys, people that were trying to get PlayStation 5s, couldn't get them because of the chipset shortages. Well... That right there is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that we should all be out here in the streets, you know, cr- I think I missed some I think I missed something. Hang on a second. I'm just now realizing. Paul Wright, Paul Wright, you renewed your membership and I'm sorry, I did not shout that out. You did that right after Christopher gifted the 20 members and I owe you guys. Did I do the 5 that I owe? Hang on one second. I can't get the thing to go away. The member gifting. There it is. I couldn't close the little window. Yeah, I'm not saying we should just be out here in the streets crying and, and falling on the ground and be like, oh, these poor employees. I think some of that's just virtue signaling and posturing because people want to look good, right? I'm not I, I'm not advocating for that. No, I didn't do the members that I owe you guys just yet. So I owe you a 10 bomb now. Let me do that right now. There we go. I can't see chat for a second while this happens. The little spinner's going. There we go. Um, Let's talk about how we got here. Sony for the last few fiscal quarters has been losing money. It's a fact. Look up now. PS5 sales are slowing, and on top of that, uh, their profits are almost non-existent. That simply isn't true. That sounds like you're... It sounds to me like you're parroting something that you heard from somewhere else now you look at sony and you look at profit and you look at operating costs and you look at the entire picture and how they uh amortized bungie those operating costs are anticipated to go down by 20 percent in the next fiscal year which will then add an increased profit they they have basically told everybody that invests and everybody that's basically looking at their shareholders i'm sorry their their earnings the shareholders that are looking at their earnings they have not indicated that any of this is surprising. They're, they haven't indicated any of this is surprising. Operating costs being where they are, 
is something that they knew would happen. If you go and look at the Q&A, this is not something where they're like, oh my gosh, we can't believe this is happening. We're in financial trouble. We're losing money. That's a false narrative that continues to be spun up by people who don't understand the financials and they want to pin everything on PlayStation because they saw a report about Sony, not PlayStation. They saw a report about Sony and they said, oh, this is, this is PlayStation. PlayStation's in trouble. And it's like, first and foremost, no. And secondly, the operating costs of PlayStation being where they are is not a surprise. And you also have to consider the fact that they did what they did with buying Bungie over time. That's why they anticipate next fiscal year their operating, their operating costs going down by 20%. That's because they're no longer paying for Bungie. And you have to consider, they said they're going to spend more on acquisitions going forward. None of this is a surprise to them. They're not in danger. They're not worried. They're not like, oh my gosh, we're concerned. And if they were, you better believe they would have laid off more than 8%. They would have gone way higher than 8%. The fact that they're doing 8%, you want to talk about somebody that's in trouble. Embracer Group announced that they're considering laying off 50% of their employees. That's a company that's doing everything they can to survive. That's not the situation that's going on with PlayStation and with Sony. Street Chatter with a $5 Super Chat tip. I work at PlayStation. I lost teammates. I lost my manager. But there are factors that led to this. Chip shortages, game delays, but we are still doing well. Right, and that's the important thing to remember. Thank you so much for the $5 Super Chat, Street Shadow. And I'm sorry you lost teammates and a manager. That's a bummer. Human type person, thank you for renewing for 25 months. Um, So like what you're saying there were so many things that led to this like the fact that it's only 8% is imp- okay let's take an example i wish we had the numbers for what of the 10,000 that was laid off we don't know what that was for gaming but the 1900 that got laid off where um xbox targeted activision blizzard that was roughly 15% of activision blizzard's workforce right Roughly double the percentage of what PlayStation did. Now, somebody's going to say, oh, well, that was only 8% of Xbox's workforce. Well, it was their second round of layoffs, and it was directly related to and response to the acquisition. They targeted ABK. Why? Because they bought ABK. And ABK hadn't done any of their layoffs yet. They were going to do some. That is true. Activision Blizzard gets targeted. Roughly 15% of their workforce gets laid off. Now, if Activision Blizzard was in dire straits and was in all this trouble and everything was bad, well, then they would have laid off way more than 15%, right? Is anybody out there saying that? Is anybody out there saying that Microsoft or Xbox or Activision Blizzard are in financial trouble or it's dangerous or it's, oh my gosh, guy is falling? Is anybody saying that? No? Why? Well, because it stands to reason that they only did... 15% 15% of Activision Blizzard, which is which amounts to 8% of their global workforce, which is insane because now their global workforce is so much bigger because of Activision Blizzard. Why aren't why are we saying that? Well, because we know Activision Blizzard's got profitable property and they're 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 in a they're they're a strong company that is now owned by Microsoft. They're a strong company. No one's like, "Oh my gosh." And yet they trimmed more of Activision Blizzard than PlayStation did. PlayStation is doing 900. Activision Blizzard got targeted for 1,900 people. Is anybody running with the narrative that Activision Blizzard's in trouble or that they're they're going to shut down? No. So if somebody's going to do that with PlayStation, they're running a narrative. They're grinding an axe. 
I never once ran with the narrative that Microsoft or Xbox or Activision Blizzard was in trouble. Why? Because the layoffs were exactly what we said was were going to happen. All the people that hand-waved and said that the acquisition was going to be good for the labor force and that the acquisition was going to be great, everybody, that's what I took issue with. I took issue with the bad coverage and all the surprised Pikachu faces that were like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this. This is exactly what you do after a major acquisition. What are you talking about? So if you're going to run with the narrative that PlayStation's in trouble, they're, 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 oh my gosh, they're going to shut down. They just shrunk labor force by 8%. Well, then I guess we have to say the same thing about every other company that's doing it. Embracer Group, 50%. Xbox did, Microsoft did 10,000 last year and then another 1,900 this year. Is anybody saying that about them? Of course not. Of course not, because they're incredibly wealthy and they're solvent and they're fine. They're not going to shut down because they laid off that many people. <clears throat> it's 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 all blown out of proportion most of the time when this stuff comes up. Almost all the time. If you're a software engineer, I suggest that you work for a big bank. It's more stable. I saw somebody saying that they should unionize. I don't think that that's necessarily the solution either because I was a part of a union. I'm telling you, unions can become just as unhelpful as they are helpful. I don't know. I'm not against it. I'm not anti-union. I just don't think it's as simple as people make it. Well, you unionize. And then the, then the union has its own interests. And then the union can make it really hard to fire a crappy employee. And then there's just a, lo- uh, there's a lot of in- entanglements that come with the union. It's not as simple. It's not a magic wand. It certainly is not a magic wand to these problems. These problems exist in the tech sector. And the tech sector suddenly unionizing would not suddenly solve that. It doesn't, it doesn't suddenly fix the need for companies to lay people off. It doesn't suddenly remove market realities of, well, yeah, two years ago, four years ago, something unprecedented happened across the entire planet, and we are now course correcting from that. Like, a union isn't going to protect you from that. After working for the CWA, yeah, that was the one I, w- that was, the one I was a part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't use entanglements that way since Jada Pinkett. I don't know what you're talking about. Did she use that word? Interest of the people who slave away for PlayStation. So you're going to summarize people that are working for PlayStation. They're paying their bills, earning a living, right? They're slaving away. The 900 people that are really sad they got laid off, are they sad because they miss slaving away? Why are you speaking for employees as if you know them? Unions are always better than no union? I don't agree with that. There's plenty of instances where unions have not been helpful. That you can't say that. You can't say that with such a broad stroke. They can help. They can also cause lots of problems. It's not that simple. You know what Jada said? I don't. I've not paid any attention to her. Why would I care what she says? Why do you care what she says? I saw I saw Will Smith slap Chris Rock. Yes. If you think I've paid attention to her before or after that, I don't th- I don't think you know me. I have no idea 
what she has said before or after. Unions aren't always good. If you lived in New York City, you would know. Yeah, there's been plenty of reports, you know, even from my hometown of what unions have done to places and and uh, and factories and what it's done in other places. Like, I don't have the reports off the top of my head, but it happened in my hometown and it's happened in other places. I've, I've, I've We've seen the articles. There's, I don't need to have them off the top of my head right now to know you simply can't say they're always helpful. They're always better. That's just ridiculous. You have to know that that can't be, you can't say something's always helpful. That's like saying medicine's always helpful. No, medicine can kill you if you take the wrong kind. Like, even some of the best things can be unhelpful if they're not utilized or implemented properly. She had entanglements with her son's friend. Yeah, see, and my life was better before this moment not knowing that. That does nothing to my brain other than hurt it. I don't... I, I'm, I was better five minutes ago. It's always better when you don't know what Jada Pinkett has said, right? Like, you can say, you can say that, okay? It's, it's always better. Like, I was better five minutes ago. <laughs> I see your point on the ABK deal. Some of the podcasts I've seen talk about Call of Duty mostly, but not the other games and the IPs like Transformers or the other IPs Xbox owns now. Yeah, the, the, the way that we covered the Activision Blizzard layoffs, I pointed my finger at the gaming press and the astroturfing PR mouthpieces who acted like the ABK deal was going to be better for the consumer and better for the labor force. Do people still think that? Are all of the meltdowns in the Twitter spaces and the Verge of Tears podcast that people are doing, do they still believe what they said six months ago? That ABK was going to be good for them? And that Microsoft was investing in them and their platform and their console? Did they still believe that? That was how I covered the ABK layoffs. I wasn't like, Microsoft is greedy, and this is just for the C-suites. No. I said that acquisitions only ever help the C-suites, because look at what happened. Golden parachutes, retirement, adios, Lulu Chang. Nice knowing you. This is not the same as acquisition layoffs. This is different. This is symptomatic of the entire industry right now. PlayStation's doing what every other studio is doing. And they did it in a way that, to me, seems far less reckless and destructive. It's not like, oh yeah, Embracer Group, 50%, kaboom. Why? Because Embracer Group has consolidated up, gobbled up, and they had a business deal go bad on them, go south on them, and now they've got to absolutely protect themselves. So they're just cutting and laying off and gutting companies, or trying to sell some of them at least. Yeah, I don't want to get into a union debate with you guys. There is ample evidence available to you that they are not universally helpful. And I don't think an industry the size of gaming would suddenly benefit from it. I don't. And the one group that managed to do it, it was a Q... Was it, what was it? It was a QA team at Raven. All you're going to do is unionize yourself right out of the industry. 
Donnie earlier in the stream, I missed this, said, Donnie, you said a couple of things. PlayStation's inventory was backed up during the quarter two last year. They built an expense at an, oh, built at an expensive time because of global cost. And then they shifted 8 million of those in the holiday season, all with $100 discounts. Every one of those units were sold at a loss. PlayStation 5 at launch made profit last quarter, a whole lot of loss. That's important context as well as to why they're course correcting on profitability they're saying that we that we have to adjust profit <clears throat> your union comments are a no-go yes i have very generically stated that they're not always helpful and they can cause harm what an what what an outlandish position to hold i'm such a radical that's that that's such a calm position to hold your self-reporting your position must be very extreme if me simply stating that they're not always helpful and i don't think they're the solution to the problems in the gaming industry and you're saying that my comments are a no-go that's a that's a dizzying argument (laughs) devs aren't paid enough Companies try to skimp on cost. I have an idea. <laughs> Let's unionize. That'll that'll help with budgets and costs and employees being paid well. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. Yep. All of a sudden, you have people paying dues, leveraging for better pay. Companies are trying to shrink budgets. Companies are trying to ship, uh, shrink operating costs. What do you think is going to happen if people unionize? I respect the workers that build the games, not the companies. I think that's a bizarre position to hold. So you don't respect the companies. You just respect the workers. That doesn't even make any sense. They're in a symbiotic relationship together. Like, a lot of these people are sad because they liked their job. Like, again, this comes back to so much of what we talked about yesterday. This juvenile anti-corporation mindset that the corporations are evil and it's us versus them so you'll slice that line you're like well i respect the workers not the companies what what does that even mean what what, why the animosity to the company what the, the people that work there like working there they're not like i hate this company I wish I could quit, but I can't. They, they like the company. They're a part of the company. And and to be like, well, no, I hate the company, but I like them. What is the company then? What what What's this entity that you dislike? Their logo? The C-suite? The board members? Who? They are the company. The employees are the company. The games don't get made without the company's capital. Didn't the Starbucks that successfully unionized get shut down like a week later? Did anyone buy games from London Studios? I don't... I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of like, what's London Studios made? You know, did they like? I did. I felt like that would just come across as cold to be like, well, they haven't really made any good games. So, like, I don't think it was as simple as that. I don't think it was as simple as that. I think they looked across the board and said, 
what is what are all these companies bringing to the table and if you were firmly rooted in like support for vr or support for live service or you were working on a game that suddenly wasn't within the plans or the projected profit of your of your um project was lower i don't think they were like well, let's look at the roadmap of things you've done and let's really analyze how good the games were. I don't think they did that. This was literally cost assessment. They went and said, what are the projects right now that we are most likely to not make profit on? Like, if we look at projections, so that's why I think VR stuff's going to get cut. I don't think they're going to do a lot of first-party investment in VR because those are going to be your smallest profit gains because it's a smaller it's a smaller footprint of consumer. I think that's why they're re... Uh, they're reassessing their um, they're reassessing their live service plans because I think the same thing it's volatile they're like we don't I mean we don't know if a live service game goes belly up we're gonna lose money James with 20 months if you don't support the corporation to the game you enjoy you're doing a big disservice the workers make the products the management did the poor forecasting during the sickie and it led to this and none of the execs got laid off. Again, Mark, with respect, what you're saying is pure reductionism. To say, management did poor forecasting. Okay. So, there's a sudden surge in demand. There is a surge in, we need this stuff to happen. There was also chipset shortages and other problems that were going on. But, the sudden surge in demand. They need an increase in labor force. They react to that. You think that the management should have been able to predict four years from now we're uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna not need these people. Mark is right. How did you? So okay. So tw- in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, were you out here saying that in twenty twenty four that all this hiring was going to need to be trimmed back? Keep in mind, they're not laying off all of the people that they hired. They're not completely trimming back from everything that they've done. Most of these companies have still net gained growth in employee size. Even when Bungie did their layoffs, they're still they're still like two to three hundred larger, two to three hundred employees larger than they were. That's not what he was saying. That's not what he was saying. Okay, let me read again what he was saying. He says, the workers make the products. The management did the poor forecasting during this pandemic that led to this, and none of the execs got laid off. He was faulting. He was faulting management for poor forecasting. Basically, what he was saying is, oh, it's their fault. They overhired. They should have known that in four years, they wouldn't need all of these employees. They should have known the exact number of employees that they would need four years from now. That's ridiculous to say. That's ridiculous to say. Companies can't do that. You can't anticipate the shifts that have happened in the last four years. So should companies have forecasted what was going to happen in 2020? Should they have known that was coming? Should they have known the number of employees they were suddenly going to need? That's like saying that. That's like saying in the middle of 2020 and in the middle of 2021, that'd be like saying, well, management should have known. They should have forecasted this. What? That doesn't make any sense. How in the world would you have known that? The executive should have foreseen that. Okay. Let's imagine 
that they they knew this was coming. And all the people that just got laid off were what then fired three years ago or not hired? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't exactly know what you expected these companies to do. If corporations only care about money and are ruthless, why do they pay these C-suite positions so much? I want answers. What, Zubair? (laughs) Where's the crystal ball? Damage control is real? Damage control for what? Who's damage controlling? What are you talking about? Foreseeing stuff is 90% of an executive's job, though. So, an unprecedented global event creates a surge of need in the tech sector. And they should have known that four years later, things would return to pre-pandemic levels. What if the opposite would have happened? What if, what if it would have continued for another... Let's just say it would have continued for another year. Let's say all of this wasn't really necessary until 2025. We just dropped frames, and I don't know why. Okay, that was just really quick. Must, that was an ingest server hiccup. Let's just say that this didn't need to happen until 2025. Like, that's, I guess, my question is to the people that think that. I'm trying to understand your position. So they shouldn't have hired anybody in 2020 and 2021. They shouldn't have responded to demand. They shouldn't have responded to business need. They should have been like, no, this likely won't continue, and therefore we're not going to hire. Like, what? The answer is that the C-suite answers to no one. Where's the board of directors? Where's the shareholder? Okay. Worse, I think it's fair to say they overhired. They had to lay people off because they overhired. Things calmed back down. Okay. To turn around and say, well, they did bad forecasting. They shouldn't have done this. My question is, okay, by how much? By how much? They overshot. They panicked. Every studio did. That much is true. Okay. So let's ask the question, Donnie. Would they have incurred more damages by not responding? Let's just imagine they don't react. They don't hire. They don't, and, and then they don't meet demand. Would, would, like that's the question you have to ask as a business would they have incurred more damages by not reacting and responding to the sudden surge and to be like well we're not going to do this like here's an example the CEO of Helldivers has said we don't want to overhire right now that would lead to layoffs in the future okay that's great that's respectable that's very admirable can we honestly say that in 2020 and 2021 that you could have had that same mindset and been like, we're not going to react to the market surge right now. If you're publicly traded, your shareholders would probably have an issue with that. So that's a problem. Your shareholders are going to say, wait a minute, what are you doing? Why aren't you reacting to demand right now? All projections are 
All market analysis says, if we react to this, we stand to make a bunch of money. You serve us. You have a duty to us to say, we're going to act when there's opportunities within the interest of the shareholders. So if you don't, we have a problem with that. So all publicly traded companies probably didn't have much of a choice here. There was no we'll just we'll just bide our time here now smaller companies smaller studios that were independent okay maybe you could argue that they were foolish because they just kind of followed the market because they they're not publicly traded so they don't necessarily answer to the shareholders so they could have said we're going to be more calm about this we're not just going to overreact and overhire and then potentially have to lay people off in the future I mean, maybe you could say that, but the larger companies, I don't think they had the luxury to be like, we're going to completely ignore the unprecedented thing happening right now and the demand and the potential profit, the potential gains. We're not going to react to it. That's speculation. That's not speculation. That's how it works. If you have an opportunity as a business to make a ton of money, because you're constantly analyzing the market, they're constantly doing sales projections, they're constantly looking at demand and making adjustments. And if those reports get to the get to the shareholders, and on a shareholders call, they're like, "Can you tell us why you didn't do this? Can you tell us why this project was canceled or didn't go forward or whatever?" And the shareholders are going to want to know why didn't you respond to this surge of demand? Publicly traded companies very likely were like. If we don't do this, number one, we're stupid. That could be considered negligent to be like, no, we're not going to capitalize on the growth. We're not going to capitalize on the surge in demand. And I'll be honest with you. The shareholders and the C-suite probably don't care. They probably know. You act now, and for the next four years, we all make more money. And then in four years, if we have to lay people off and course correct, that's what we'll do. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't think there's a world where they could just be like, no, we're not going to react to this. We're just going to let it ride and miss out on on profits and gains and, and growth. Also, consider something. Thank you for the 14 spot, Ica Gang. Still think CEOs should take a pay cut. I have respect for people to do that. That's a cultural thing. You're not going to get you're not going to get Western companies to do that. I'm sorry. You're not. E- e- even Sony. I don't think you're going to see that from Sony that's a cold maybe not even a cultural thing that's a that's a whole other discussion entirely i know nintendo did that once but that's few and far between consider the following a ceo pay cuts a drop in the ocean right when you're when you're when you're laying off eight percent of your global labor force i don't think you can be like hey ceo if you take a pay cut you we could have avoided all of this i don't think that that is necessarily true consider something with me Over the course of the last four years, because these companies reacted to demand and because they reacted to opportunities to get profit and gains, let's say, and this is true actually, a lot of these companies are now bigger and have more employees. Is that not a net good? From a business perspective, it's a net gain. The the company is stronger. The company is in a better position to bring, bring product to market. And from a consumer standpoint or an employee standpoint, more people have jobs, right? You, you, it's not, this is why people make, they try to make it too simple. It's like, so for the last four years, they acted on the growth, they acted on the surge in the demand, 
And some of these companies, a lot of them are larger than they were four years ago, even after the layoffs. They've grown by a couple hundred employees and they just laid off 40. That's a net gain of, you know, 150 some odd people. That's 100 some odd people that have jobs that didn't before the surge and companies stronger, companies in a better position to bring a product, you know, a, a good quality piece of property to the market. Like you you can't just slice it and be like, "Nah, they shouldn't have done this. It's their fault." Oh, okay. So rewind the clock and take all these studios back to pre-pandemic employee numbers. You just laid off more people. You just didn't hire more people, basically. That's more people without jobs. You see what I'm saying? It's not that simple. That's why I gave Microsoft credit. You saw that 10,000 layoff number, and you're like, oh my gosh. If you look at the chart of hiring that Microsoft has done from 2017 to now... They, they've added hundreds of thousands of jobs. Maybe not hundreds of thousands. They've added way more than 10,000. And so they didn't lay off everybody that they hired. Donnie said the same earlier. Hang on, let me look at this. The balancing is absolutely true. Like I said to you last night, all the main PlayStation Studios have grown in size by 30 to 50% since 2019. Had those numbers grown more organically by 25% and we didn't see layoffs today, would we be complaining? Well, and you have to ask something, Donnie, because they hired more than they needed to, were they able to bring product faster and better? Were they able to generate more profit? Were they able to make more reinvestments in the company's technology or who knows what and made the company stronger? Yeah, it sucks that, you know, Insomniac's laying off, what, 50 to 75 people. That sucks. But in the four to five years that they mushroomed up, did it make the company stronger? Did it make the products better? Are there more people working now than there were in 2019? That's the question that nobody asks. It's just we all get angry and we're like, these greedy corporations. And it's like, well, that's such an oversimplification of what they did. They're not like, yes, we're greedy. And then they just did all these terrible, awful things. If that was the case, and the people that are leaving the companies wouldn't be sad. They'd be relieved to be out from underneath these, these, these terrible overlords that we imagine in our, in our diatribes on Twitter. This is an estimate, says Eugene. These people don't make as much as people think. The average PlayStation executive compensation is $213,000 a year. The median estimated compensation for executives at PlayStation, including base salary and bonus, is 205000 That's not that much at all. $213,000 a year? That's, that, that's, uh, come on! That's like I said, there's this phantom idea... You know, these these executives are walking around, you know, they're billionaires and millionaires. It's like, that's a bit much. Okay, so they're all making around $200,000 a year. Just how much do you think you could cut into their, into their salary to avoid 8% of your global workforce getting laid off? What are you, you going to do? You just cut their salary in half, $100,000. How many executives do you think you can cut before you even come close to the number of people that they had to lay off? That's not much. I earned 95k. That's an F ton. 
that's not five figures that's six figures two hundred thousand dollars is six figures not five quarter of a million just about i mean before taxes yes it's close to a quarter of a million at that bracket they're not clearing quarter of a million plus whatever they make on the stock exchange sure sure the point that we're making is listen if you compare yourself to two hundred thousand dollars that what that might be life-changing money for you i'm not trying to act like two hundred thousand dollars is not a lot of money the point in bringing it up is two hundred thousand dollars for the average playstation executive that's not enough to cut into to be like well now we don't have to do layoffs even if you drop them down to $100,000 a year, I mean, how many executives do you think you've got to do that to? They cut 900 employees. There's not 900 executives that can be like, yeah, cut our pay in half. That's fine. What do you think would happen to a company like that if that was the policy that you ran with? That's the point is they don't make enough for you to cut into. They don't make enough. What are you going to cut from them? Yeah, you'd need 900 executives. You'd need 900 executives that are willing to take a 50% pay cut. What do you think that's going to do to your to your organization? These people are living a life where they're accustomed to making $200,000 a year. And this utopian dream world is that we can cut their pay in half, avoid layoffs, and they're going to be totally fine with that. Let's say right now you make $80,000 a year. And I came to you and I said, in order for the business to survive, I have to cut your pay in half to $40,000. What are you going to say? And you're like, I, I, you can't do that? I... I, I budget around that. I, uh, I'm anticipating that money coming in. You can't just suddenly cut my pay in half. You can't have somebody working for $200,000 a year and then be like, oh no, yeah, we'll just cut your pay in half. That's fine, isn't it? You're like, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm depending on that money. Just because they're making a lot of money doesn't mean that they're not living a life that's interwoven with that being the reality of what they need. They'd have, to, they'd have to sell their home, more than likely, wherever they live. They'd probably have to do that, unless they already own it. They'd have to reconsider all of their purchases. They'd have to reconsider all the things that they own, whether they're leasing a nice car or anything. People that get to those thresholds of, of, of earnings live a different life than us. And to suddenly be like, hey... You've you've worked your way up the corporate ladder. We need you to take a half. We need you to take a, your pay cut, which cut it in half. They're not going to be willing to do that. And even if they were, it would be completely tectonic to their life. You're not going to get executives to do that. You you simply aren't. That's my point. Is there's this there's again there's this there's this boogeyman corporate view that we have that these guys are walking around as millionaires and that they could just take a shave off their their salary, all these people wouldn't need to be laid off. And it's like, that just isn't true at all. That's some doe-eyed sentimentality that you read on Reddit or something. That's not true of a lot of these companies. You're talking 100 million employee cost of US or UK employees for 900 people. What are you cutting, what are, what are cutting execs gonna do? Yeah, roughly, yeah, exactly. 
like the amount that they cut annually in their operating costs you're not getting that from an executive salary you just aren't executives often have lucrative compensation packages well beyond their base pay and a lot of that's tied up in the stocks and the shares what what are you going to do with that so if you have some compensation package that's tied up in shares and stocks in the company, what what are you going to do to to how do you use that to avoid laying people off? What did Mash say? People who don't hire forget you have salary, benefits, training, overhead, equipment, bonus. Um I would estimate the average PlayStation dev makes or costs about $200,000 a year. For a five-year game cycle, that's a million per dev. It's an incredibly expensive industry. It really is. Yeah, and those stocks and those shares are hurt by bad decision-making. Exactly. So it's like, if they don't do this, if they don't protect profit, and if they don't monitor operating costs, then they're going to lose money. It... (laughs) Where are we getting these numbers from is my question. When individual game studios pay their execs 10 times uh, of millions in bonuses up to nearly 200 million. Well, okay, certainly, Omar, the bonuses come into it. Wasn't it the guy at Nintendo that forego- he, he like foregoed a bonus and MASH comes in with a 50 bomb and takes us to 102 members on the day. What a maniac. That's Agents of Chaos work right there. Mash says, I'm going to take over the chat. Goodness gracious. I now owe you guys 10 members. Javier Cotto's like Mash, right, Javier? He took the, he took the crown. He's taking it. It's his. Most gifted. Chat's going to be a waterfall for a minute. That's a lot of members, MASH. Goodness gracious. The amount of corruption that goes on at the highest levels of corporations and the lobbying and the bribery to politicians, I think it's fair to treat them like the boogeyman. But, But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that, Garrett. What does it accomplish in the long run to say... I'm totally fine with saying empathy and frustration and feeling bad for the people that lost their jobs. I don't think we gain anything by creating and dreaming up these narratives that these companies are evil and the executives could have taken pay cuts and they're, you know, this is all their fault. I don't think we gain anything by that because I think by and large, most of the time, it's not true. It isn't. It makes us feel better. We want somebody to blame. We do. We want somebody to blame. It's somebody's fault. We need a scapegoat, right? That 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 that's a part of that that gets into like philosophy of man, right? We seek justice. We seek a scapegoat every time. Sometimes there's not a scapegoat, man. Like what do you what do you who you're gonna you wanna blame a person, you wanna blame an entity for this. Like when we were critical of the Xbox Activision deal, 
and we said it'll lead to layoffs it'll lead to projects being cancelled right my issue with it was always it's going to be bad for the consumer it's going to be bad for the products it's going to be bad for the, the teams that are working on these games right it was never oh these greedy corporate overlords it's all their fault I hate them it's like no this is what big corporations do I even said I said the, Ac- the Xbox Activision deal is going to lead to more acquisitions it's like a starter pistol alright everybody go buy now that's, that's the goal that's the goal go buy content and my issue with it has never been how dare these greedy corporate companies spend their money no it's been this is going to be bad for the consumer and it's going to be bad for the products that we get like I, I, I've never wanted to be this imprecise like boogeyman like ooh look at these greedy CEOs like it's like what the heck like all these companies operate with the same mentality what company do you support what, where do you buy your games who do you financially invest in as a consumer that you think is, is pure in, in the grand scheme of things street chatter with a 10 spot for chat when does worker turn into the evil company was my manager the company my director or VP who supports my risks uh, the company lots of short sightedness SIE treats me well thank you thank you that's the point I'm trying to make it's like we don't achieve anything listen to the people that have been laid off they're sad they liked working for the company the company's not evil it's not some evil terrible place Yo, dude with the drum set with a 10 spot. We're having a banner day of gifted members. Thank you so, so much. Games1.com CEO pay. Guess who's not on this list? You have to guess. You have one guess. Oh, the, the CEOs who make the most. Game CEO pay in 2020, understanding industry compensation from the first years of the pandemic. What is Jim Ryan not on the list of like most paid? Check my last comment. Hang on, Chris. Chris says they're not sad to leave Sony. They're sad to leave Naughty Dog, Gorilla and Santa Monica. But come on, Chris. It's all one animal. The guy that just super chatted said SIE treats me, treated me well. What? Come on. These companies have been growing under under PlayStation and Sony ownership. What do you what this idea that they're evil and they're awful? Another example. My issue with what Microsoft does to creative, I've never been like their greedy corporate overlords. I've been like, they have an 18-month contract policy that runs counter to creative work because it works for utilitarian software, but it doesn't work for creative software development because you lose institutional knowledge you lose vision transfer and solidarity and teamsmanship, right? I've never, I've never said the contract policy is evil. It's, it's corrupting to create a process. I'm making a business assessment. I'm making an assessment of what's going to be good or bad for the business and the product that I want to buy. 
the game CEO pay in 2020. So the top paid CEOs, no one from Sony or PlayStation is on that list. The we just run with all we we just let me let me pull this one up here. Let's just take a gander at this. Let's just take a gander at this list of people. Again, I'm pushing back against this notion. Survey measures 842 million in compensation. So is this going to get higher as I scroll down? Game CEO pay in 2020. So we've got a whole list of people here. Let's just go to the tippity top. All right. So we've got, not surprising, not not surprising at all, that uh, Mr. Bobby Kotick is here. You see this here? Like, do you want to talk about ways that layoffs could have been mitigated? You want to talk about, you know, w- ways to avoid letting people go? I mean, this 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 guy has got a golden parachute, by the way, too, when he left. Here's EA. There you go. Here's Zynga. Like, you want to talk about, like... CEOs that are paid a lot and could maybe take pay cuts or could maybe shield people from potential layoffs. The, the PlayStation and, and Sony is not on this list. NCSoft. That's not surprising. Next on GameStop. Wow. All right. Roblox is on here. Okay, Square Enix is on here. So you could you could you could have a go at Square Enix and say, hey, you know, you could have saved quite a bit in in without laying people off. I'm not sure how much they've laid off. We didn't cover that. We didn't cover I don't think has Square done any this year. I think they did some last year. <laughs> we've got we've got guys from CD Project Red on here in, in, in Ubisoft. I'm not seeing any PlayStation guys or Sony guys on here. The point is, once again, keep going. There's a big one coming up. Who, who did you want me to see? Robio, Tiny Build, Eastside Games, Applovin, Fractal, Embracer. I'm pushing back against the notion that there was some simple, you know, C-suite pay cut solution here. No, I don't think so. Uh, Victor, with 34 months, it's obvious people who hate on these companies do not own stock uh, or have 401ks. I want every company in the S&P 500 and those in my investment portfolio to make tons of money. Grow my retirement plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that is interesting that the Embracer group, he's only his he's only compensate, he's only 162. That's surprising. Like that's actually really surprising. The fact that like these guys are looking at laying off 50% of their workforce. Well, there's nothing you can do to him. You can't cut from his pay to save anybody. You know? Is Phil there? No, Phil wasn't listed. 
Mm-mm. Yo, what's good, Hellfire? Their salaries only matter when they fire people. When people want to sit on their PCs and virtue signal, pretending you care that a dev lost their job. Lots of stock options align their incentives with the shareholders. This is this is true. This is true. Which makes it really hard to say, well, the SEO, the, the, I'm sorry, the CEO could just take a pay cut, right? I still owe you guys 10. I've not done the 10 yet, have I? No. Let me do the 10 members that I owe you guys right now. Before I forget. <clears throat> also, guys, we've been streaming. Oh my gosh, we've been streaming for an hour and a half. That went by really, really quickly. Do me a favor and make sure you have smashed the like button. Go through that ritual. If you've been lurking and listening, if you watch the show on a daily basis, that helps me out. Make sure and minimize the chat. Hit that like button. Make sure that YouTube is saving your like. YouTube's been a little squirrely lately uh, with the like count. And so we greatly appreciate it. Make sure you hit subscribe if you want to talk in the chat. We greatly appreciate all of the new subscribers today. Um, Thank you very much, everybody who has supported this stream. Their pay is inherently cut by poor performance. Right, if the company performs poorly, if profits are if profits aren't there, if like what's happening with operating costs, right? If operating costs surge and profit goes down, those guys they lose money. We are currently at 2978. We are 22 members away from being back at 3000. Maybe we could hit the 3500 goal between today and tomorrow. 500 members is a lot. It's a lot. We're 22 members away from being back to 3000 again. That's been amazing holding that that number is just incredible. Tomorrow a new video game will launch and all this will be forgotten. Well, and I, I, I tried to, I touched on this, I touched on this a little bit, um, a little bit yesterday, and um, the idea that, like, this is going to happen all year long, and I struggle with number one as a as a as a person, I strive to have empathy for other people. But it's really challenging to have empathy for people that you, number one, that you don't know. It's hard to have empathy for people in such large numbers. Right? Like, if I told you right now, the, the, the thousands of people right now um, that have just been told their loved one passed away, if I had the ability to give you that report... That your inability to empathize with them and to like enter in and to feel bad it's understandable right you'd be like I don't know them and it's a really high number so it's really challenging like every couple of weeks to be like another couple thousand people just lost it another couple thousand another couple thousand another couple thousand it's like the number's high the consistency and the cadence with which it's happening is 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 going to be a lot this year and we don't know them now, we might see some that we've known or gotten to know on Twitter, like community managers and stuff, but by and large, we don't know these people. So it's difficult. It's like, you know, yes, of course, like, I feel bad, but, like, I'm not going to emotionally... Like, you can't spend your limited emotional amount of energy every other week being like, oh, my gosh. That's why I'm cautioning against this idea of, like, 
turning the corporation into this evil overlord or, oh, the C-suites could have taken pay cuts. It's like you're driving a narrative that isn't true. The people that have been laid off are sad they've been laid off. They liked the company. They were a part of the company. You're now attacking. The question would be, what would have Sony done to not close down four studios in the last four years and shut down eight live service games? Why ask that question? Why would you ask that question? The assumption would be this was a decision that aligns with their future business interests. If they're deciding that we were going to do a bunch of live service games and Bungie basically educates them on you don't know what the frick you're doing and they say, okay, we need to dial this back. We're, we're going to incur lots of loss. What The alternative would have been to just keep going, right? This is one time where you can be dichotomous. They either keep making the games and push out the live service games anyway, or they, they fold back and say, we're not going to do live service. Bad management? I call that good management. To say, this isn't going to work, this is going to be bad, we need to dial this back and not do this. That's actually good management. You know what bad management is? Shipping games that have no business coming to market. Shipping games before they're ready. That's bad management. Good management is, hey, we invested in oversight so that if we bring a project to market, it's going to be successful. That quite literally is the definition of good management. And for them to spend money acquiring a studio to help them with something and for them to pull the reins back and say, whoa, this isn't going to go well, that's good management and good oversight. Everybody's talking this morning about good forecasting. That's quite literally why they're doing this. That's quite literally why they're doing this. Would it have been better? Imagine they didn't buy Bungie. And we got The Last of Us Online. And we got these live service games. And they come out and they don't do well. They flop. And it, and it creates larger tales of financial loss and pain on the studios. What do you think would have happened? What do you think would have happened to our beloved Naughty Dog? If they would have just shoved it out anyway. The race to live service, everything was a mistake from day one. I think that's sweeping and reductionistic. That Everything was a mistake? Helldivers 2 was a mistake? Okay. Buy, buying Bungie to ensure their live service plans have good oversight? That was a mistake? Like you're just calling it all? It's just all a mistake. They should have known that live service was was a, was a was a fool's errand. I don't understand. Plenty of live service games are out right now, and they're successful. Lots of companies are setting their sights on live service. Let me ask you something. A lot of companies have set their sights on mobile and cloud. Is that a mistake? Because that's a surge. There's lots of growth and lots of spending and lots of money to be made there. So looking at trends in the market and saying we should be trying to do that and not just we should be trying to do that but we should try to do that well let's get a company that can help us do that well to label that as bad management I think is ignorant it's just that's just from its head to its toes an ignorant position bad management would have been what Zenimax did that's bad management Bad management is Redfall. 
ZeniMax tells a studio known for single player, we want you to make a co-op shooter, uh, you know, kind of an ongoing live service game. And the devs are like, we don't even know if we can or we don't even really want to. And they go ahead with it anyway. It gets to the point where they're hoping that Xbox will cancel the project. That's bad management. Bad management is not, we see opportunities in the market, we're going to try and build games to take advantage of these opportunities in the market, and we're going to spend a significant amount of capital that that increases our operating cost over two years, and in the process of doing that, we're, we're going to be having oversight of our live service games. Foamstars got greenlit. Foamstars has nothing to do with PlayStation or Sony. PlayStation and Sony don't own that studio or that property, and Bungie didn't oversee it. And we also don't know where Foam Stars is right now. They just held a tournament. I don't think you I don't think you throw money behind something that isn't that isn't working. At some level, that game I think has a chance again in in other markets. They just had a tournament. I'm not saying that game is a hit. I'm also not saying that that game falls under PlayStation's live service efforts because that's a Square Enix title and wouldn't fall under the purview and the oversight of Bungie. So let's say Foam Stars is it dies and crashes and burns. That has nothing to do with PlayStation's live service plans. That has nothing to do with PlayStation's investment in getting Bungie to oversee games. Did Bungie oversee Helldivers? We don't know. I think it's unlikely that they did. I think it's unlikely that they did. I don't think the timing lines up. So I'm not saying that Helldivers is a testimony to Bungie. I'm saying Helldivers 2 is a success, meaning you can bring good live service games to the market. This sweeping reductionism of live service games are trash, they're always bad, live service games deserve to crash and burn. Helldivers 2 says, hold my beer and sit down and be quiet. Like, that's what Helldivers 2 says to that narrative. Just be quiet. It's tired. It's boring. You're just a parrot. You're not saying anything original. You're saying what so many people have said before, and you have to ignore a litany of successful live service games that people willingly play and enjoy, and you have to ignore two of the breakout titles this year. Is Power World's ongoing? Power World's going to continue to get updates and support? That's not a one-off game. Exploded. Helldivers 2 explodes on the scene the the, the narrative that live service games are always bad or that they should not try to do live service games that narrative is in tatters on the ground and because playstation has oversight and they're canceling live service games that's going to be turned into bad management bad management would have been shipping the games anyway and watching them crash and burn or watching them not be successful, or watching it basically require Naughty Dog to either completely pivot to support it as a studio, because Bungie basically showed them this is the bandwidth you will need to support a live service game. So Naughty Dog would have been faced with, we either support this game or we're going to have to EOL it rather quickly. That would have been bad management. Like, the idea that a game getting canceled is like this huge, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Like, what was the, um, there was, a, there was a game that Xbox canceled. Some, I was, I, what, what, who was making it? It was some RPG or something. I'm, I celebrate that. 
do it. Cancel it. Don't bring it to market. If you've assessed it and you've looked at it and you're like, nope, this should not come to market, I okay, I trust that. I trust that. If oversight and management says this game needs to die, then they're probably right. That's far better than bringing it to market and having people buy it and just be irritated. Was it good for the market that Redfall came out and people paid for a bite back edition? Have they even gotten any of their content yet? But we're going to focus on live service games that got canceled due to oversight or a reassessment of strategy. Here's the other thing that's funny about the live service discussion with PlayStation. I find it humorous. They outline the investment into live service last year. In one year's time, they have seemingly readjusted and reined in their plans. And you call that bad management. I call that ridiculous. Like, it took one year for them to say, okay, we need to reassess our live service strategy here. We just last year committed to spending this much money. You know, 50% of their new game investment was uh, traditional. 50% was live service. And they're clearly assessing that plan within a year. It's been a year since they outlined those finances. And you're like, yeah, that's bad management. It was like the people who said PlayStation's live service plans are dead after, you know, uh, The Last of Us Online got canceled. And then Helldivers 2 walks out and says, can we just stop with the presumptive conclusion jumping? Like, what are we doing here? Isn't it tired? Don't people get tired? Don't people get tired of lying? Don't people get tired of running false narratives? I get tired smacking them down, so it's got to be tired maintaining them. It takes way more energy to maintain these lies. You know? Like, let's go on multiple podcasts and say, you know, games landed on platforms they didn't land on. Like, that just takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? Sony needs all the money they can get with the pending lawsuits against them and possible court fees. What lawsuits are you talking about? The one in the UK? About the 30% or whatever? PlayStation's losing billions facts. Where? You talking about Sony? You talking about their operating costs that are supposed to go down by 20% next fiscal year? Is that what you're talking about? All these guys that don't understand finances commenting on PlayStation saying they're losing billions. <laughs> what what podcast told you that? <laughs> what podcast told you they're losing billions and they have all these lawsuits? Like where where do you get your information from? You know what I'm saying? Like where do you guys get this stuff from? We know that Factions was successful because of how popular it was in the PS3 era. era. Now making it a live service, making early access, and having the community feedback direct the game development. Well, Erotimus, I would have been fully in support of that. I think ongoing games especially should embrace, they should embrace uh, early access. I do. I've said that about Diablo 4 many times. If they would have primarily... If they would have primarily built out just Act 1 and let people play it for two or three years, I think they would have saved themselves a lot of trouble. They would have completely overhauled their skill trees, um, you know, how strong people feel. They would have 
yeah, they would have changed quite a bit uh, about that game. And so I agree that they could have done that with factions, but go back and read why Naughty Dog decided not to go forward with it. Can you tell me why they canceled it? Do you know the actual reason? Did they did they cancel The Last of Us Online because it was going to be too hard or it wasn't going to be successful or they weren't going to make enough money? No. They got they got an education from a live service studio that said this is the bandwidth required for a game like Destiny. Estimates for your game is that your studio would basically have to support this game. I don't think Naughty Dog's as big as Bungie, are they? What's Naughty Dog's employee size? Employee count. Naughty Dog employee count is 850, roughly. Looks like. In the 800s. So, you know, they're quite a bit smaller than Bungie. Bungie's around 1,100, 1,200 employees. So they're basically told you would have to turn into a live service studio to support this game. And Naughty Dog says, we don't want to do that. I think, as I said many times before, they stepped into an arena where they had no idea what they're doing. No, They had no idea what they were doing. They had a good mode, and they saw Fortnite, and they saw dollar signs, and they thought, we can do this. We can take we can take our, our awesome mode, we can turn it into an ongoing game, we can make a ton of money. And I think they thought, you know, they were naive, they thought, yeah, we'll be able to do this, and Bungie's like, no, no, no. They had questions about the longevity of the game. And likely that's why Naughty Dog concluded we would have to become a live service studio because they were not allocating the bandwidth to create enough content for that game to go on. So Bungie probably sketched out an, uh, like a, a plan to say, this is how much content you would need. This is the cadence with which that content would have to land. This, this game doesn't have a shot if you're not willing to do this. Good morning, Feed. I see you in the chat. Diablo sales are great. Engagement and reception from the consumer is terrible. So they would have been a much better game had they gotten, you know, early access input from the consumer. They stepped into an arena, didn't know what they were doing, spent a lot of money, and Sony had to put an end to it. A five spot from Street Shadow says, Tons of people assume that Sony equals PlayStation. Sony has no uh, so much more business and that impacts things. In Japan, we have insurance business. How many knew that? Right. Everybody keeps running with Sony had a loss, and they're like, yep, PlayStation's in trouble. And it's like, <laughs> PlayStation's the breadwinner, bro. <laughs> PlayStation's... Over the next couple of years, you're going to see all those numbers shift because they're going to be away from the Bungie acquisition and their operating cost goes down. They lay off this 8%. Their operating cost goes down by 20% next fiscal year because they're no longer paying for Bungie, and that's going to help with profit. Now, they did say investment in... Uh, what was the, What did it say in the Q&A? There is something that will continue to offset profit. Let me find the quote. It was from their Q&A. They said, we plan to continue to make additional investments in content, which is likely to offset some of the profit growth. 
So they anticipate profit growth in their next fiscal year, but it will be offset by some of the investments in content. Now that is a Q&A that happened a couple of weeks ago. That doesn't sound to me like we're in trouble, we're losing billions, this is terrible. Like they're losing billions, facts. No, PlayStation's not. And PlayStation looks to have profit growth next fiscal year. Again, slightly offset by investment into content. I don't think advice is the be-all, end-all from Bungie, a dev who has never been uh, self-sufficient. Okay. You don't think that input's helpful, Paul? Imagine Bungie coming to you and saying, some of our best years and content cadence was when we had High Moon Studios and Vicarious Visions making content for us. You don't think that's incredibly insightful into the needs of a live service game? I'm the last person to defend Bungie, but if I'm trying to build a live service game, I want to talk to them. When was the lowest player count? When was the highest player count? When was the healthiest time in your game? What was the bandwidth required to get there? How did how did operating costs versus profit work out in those years? Right? How did you handle microtransactions, monetization, seasons? How did you handle all of that? You guys have been through the absolute live service gauntlet. There have been times where your game has almost completely died. There's been times where your game has soared in popularity. There was times where you had literally two other studios making content for you. Walk me through all of it. Glean, glean so much insight and information into what goes into a live service game. If there's a company who has knowledge that is quite literally worth its weight in gold, it's Bungie. Because everybody wants to figure out how do we make money ongoing? Because our costs, our budgets, it's so high, we cannot purely rely on the first month of sales. We just can't. We have to figure out a way to make more money. I've been on this for years, and I get called a corporate shill every time it comes up. I've said for years, these games are way more expensive to make than they ever used to be. And when we used to buy games in the past, they were way more expensive because of inflation. And people are like, well, you were paying for the cartridge. What was that thing we looked up the one time? It was insane. It was like to build both the Zelda Ocarina of Time game and Mario 64, like both games, it was like $11 million or something. Was what, isn't that what we discovered? I I feel like that was the number. It was insanely low. Like, can you imagine making two of the most popular games for a console for that much money? Wasn't that it? It was like Mario, uh, Zelda, 11 million budget. I swear that was something that we found. That's a movie budget. We, we found that one day. We were like, well, how much did it cost to make games back then? And it was ridiculous. I was like, my gosh, they made two of the best games back then for that much money? 
Look at the budgets now. Time for more AAA bang, uh, double A bangers. I'm telling you, that's gonna be, that's gonna be one of the emergent properties that come out of this. You're gonna see a bunch of double A games and studios rise. What's gonna happen? The days of the super dev and the days of the super game—they're not coming to an end, but there's gonna be way less of them. Richard, uh, I'm sorry, Rich Rod with a five spot. I think Sony will cut studios who have low output and buy small studios like Arrowhead, Ballistic Moon, who can take more constant games. I tell you what they're not going to do, Rich Rod. I don't think they're going to buy more studios. I think they're going to partner with them. I think they're going to try... The acquisition spending that they're going to spend money on, I think they're going to scoop up IP. They want the rights to the game. They don't want your studio. It's a content war, Right? That looks to be what they did with Helldivers. I don't think they want to take on more operating costs and take on more studios. I think that's the last thing they want to do right now. I think their acquisition spending will be IP rights and and partnerships. Consumers need to support those AA games. That's been part of the issue. No actors, minimal voice lines, just Link, Mario, and an immense world. Ocarina of Time was developed concurrently with Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64 for the Nintendo 64 by Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development for more than 12 million with a staff of more than 200. There it is. There's the stat. I'm sorry, it wasn't two games. It was three. Three of the most popular games for the Nintendo 64 were developed for roughly $12 million. And anytime we've gotten on this, and anytime I've talked about the price of games and how bumping to $70 is no big deal, I get called a corporate shill. It's like, what? $300 million is the projected budget for Spider-Man 3. That's a that's a major motion picture. <laughs> that's a major motion picture. And you have a smaller consumer base to sell it to. Because when you spend that much money on a major motion picture, I mean, you can put it everywhere. And then you can get more money, too, when it hits digital and rent and buy and everything. And, and the theaters. And you, you, who knows? You can have a global sensation on your hands. And everybody can go watch the movie. You know, virtually anybody can go to the movie theater. You have a much smaller footprint of people who can buy Spider-Man 2. Ghost of Tsushima was only 70 million. Now, I've seen people bring up Sucker Punch. 420 million for Spider-Man 3. Oh, what? Oh, wait. Was it, did I mess that up? Is Spider-Man 2 the 300 million and they anticipate it being 400 for Spider-Man 3? I might have messed that up. Yeah, that might be. I, I can't remember. It's, that's an insane amount of money. That's an insane amount of money. And they sold Spider-Man at full price. No cosmetics. They've added cosmetics. There's cosmetics that do cost money for a limited time, but it all goes to charity. That's the only time they said that they're, they're going to be free later on. Um, that is something that they're doing in Spider-Man 2. But largely, an insane amount of cosmetics totally for free in that game. Yeah, I've seen people bring up Ghost of Tsushima and Sucker Punch, though. They're like, 
we need this. You And I'm telling you, I've been talking about this. I think part of what these layoffs will lead to is these companies are going to learn. We can get to, to be too large, right? Wooly retweeted somebody who had said there were like three people on the writing team for Spider-Man 1, and then there was approximately like 20 people on the writing team for Spider-Man 2. Okay, this is a good example of potentially saying you can become so large that it folds back in on profitability. It's like, wait a minute. We can go from three on the writing staff to like 10 people but 20 do we do we really need to have like seven times more people on the writing staff like was that really a need for spider-man 2 see like i do think i think some of these devs and some of these studios have learned a valuable lesson in and we've talked about this before how you can't just throw more people at a video game and get the and get the game faster Like, devs have spoken out about this. Like, you can't just throw blood and treasure and people at a video game and whoop, it pops out faster, right? It's like that old, that joke about how if it takes nine, if it takes nine months to grow a baby, well, let's get nine women and it'll take one month, right? It's, it's, it's kind of in that vein of that joke of you can't just throw more devs at a studio and get a better game or a game faster. I think there's a sweet spot to studio size. I do. I think studios can get too large. The story in Spider-Man 1 was objectively better than Spider-Man 2. I didn't have an issue with Spider-Man 2's story. I think people have been really critical of that story, which kind of surprised me. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. Streamline cost and create operational efficiencies through leveraging technologies and contingent workers. I liked Miles Endgame suit too. Everybody was really critical of Miles Endgame suit. I, I, I again, I don't, I don't get it. I tell you what we're gonna do though. I tell you what we're gonna do. Let's do uh, thirty minutes of a members only uh, AMA. Uh, we basically ch- set the chat to members only, and this is a great time to gift members to give them an opportunity to jump in. And then if you guys hit, you know, one twenty-five, that's only thirteen more. I'll gift five more. We're like twenty something. Uh, like 20 something away from uh, from the goal so if you were just talking in chat a moment ago and you want to join in and keep chatting and keep the conversation going this is something that we do at the tail end of the show just to give people a sample of what it's like to be a member and to give you a reason to consider supporting the channel directly if you click join the $6 member gets you into all of the content and it, the extra content and it gets you into our members only discord now you might get a gifted member so stick around don't just leave okay I've done two hours of a live show just open to anybody and we do this at the end to you know show some appreciation to the members but also give you the opportunity to jump in and support the channel directly ask you anything well anything about gaming we, we say hey you can ask me anything about gaming so if you're like okay enough's enough about layoffs and playstation Lono, I've been wanting to ask you about this the suit's okay in the alternate colors, but when he showed up in the default version, my first action was to change it. I, I thought it looked great. I liked I liked basically everything they did with the cosmetics in that game. I liked. I did. I thought it all looked great. 
Spider-Man 3 has to hit 15 to 20 million between console and PC or Marvel pulls the IP license. Which is potentially why they're looking at Spider-Man 3 being a PC day and day release. I think Spider-Man's in a unique situation because of the license. Like it's like you this is why Blade will be multi-plat. Almost assuredly will be multi-plat. I don't think Marvel is going to allow Bethesda to build a Marvel game for just the Xbox and PC because the Xbox footprint's too small and the Xbox community will expect it to be on Game Pass. So, knowing what we know about the Marvel licensure, Blade is almost assuredly a multi-plat title and it's coming to PlayStation. I have like zero doubts. Anybody clinging to that, thinking that's going to be an exclusive... The writing was on the raw wall when they said nothing about it when they announced it. And they just brought Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves and Pentiment uh, and Grounded. They're bringing all those to other platforms in a matter of like two or three months. If you think Blade I- is an exclusive, oh my word. It's it's time to wake up. Of course, Lono liked Miles' costume at the end. What's that supposed to mean? I like Miles. I liked it. I liked the, the his outfit. I thought he was cool. Fifty to twenty million. Who said that? Eugene saying never seen that figure. Think someone made it up. Oh, I don't know if they need fifteen to twenty million, but there is a quantity number that they have to hit. I was just zeroing in on that. I don't know if that's the exact number. What's the window of sales for the, with the Disney license? Right, Brap. Like, do they have to hit a certain number in six months, 12 months? You know what I'm saying? Because, like, Spider-Man 2 is going to do exceptional annually. Hey, Street Shadow. Man, I appreciate you, Street Shadow. You've been here. You've been super chatting. Now you're a member. That's That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. I wonder if you know the other person that hangs out here from SIE. I wonder if that's how you wandered in here. Disney isn't going to require 15 million sold or they pull the license. There is a quantity that they demand though, isn't there? It was in the Insomniac leagues. How many have played uh, games like Astro? That is where money should be invested. Both of my kids played and liked Astro. I played it for a little bit. It wasn't really my cup of tea. They liked it, though. You know your thoughts on FF7 Rebirth? Can't stop watching reviews. Incredibly hyped. I think it looks great. For fans of Final Fantasy, it's it's a love letter. I'm. It just doesn't really appeal to me. I'm not... I'm, I liked Final Fantasy 16, but FF7 Remake and FF7 Rebirth are a very different style of like story and narrative delivery then it's not I don't I'm not a fan but I'm happy for the Final Fantasy fans because it looks fantastic I think it's probably front runner right now for game of the year we've seen this with Mystery Science Theater old school MST was made for 10 years by a dozen people on a tiny budget new MST 3k has thousands of crowdfunders and has trouble making new seasons because there's too many people involved and it costs way too effing much right like Yes, I I do. I think a lesson learned from these layoffs is you guys need to maybe cool it a little bit and not get so large. Like there's a there's a there's a sweet spot for for uh, efficiency size for these devs. There's another SIE person here. Oh brother sister, where art thou? <laughs> Yo rabbit with a ten spot. 
Hey Lono, I'm excited for the PS5 Pro and was wondering what previously released games will benefit from the rumored tech upgrades because for me Final Fantasy 16 Performance Mode will benefit from it. I had somebody leave a comment that said they spoke to a Square Enix employee that literally said, we're not going to fix Performance Mode, the Pro will. And I'm like, that's kind of lame, but okay. I think Insomniac games especially will benefit because we know Insomniac likes to add modes like they did with Ratchet and Clank. So I think you're going to see um, new performance modes added to Spider-Man 2 and Ratchet. I think you will also see Horizon Forbidden West and God of War targeted for new performance modes. Um, and Gran Turismo 7 as well, probably. Uh, yeah. I have a serious issue. Um, I have a serious issue with the performance mode in Final Fantasy 16. Like, it literally made me stop playing. I was like, I really want them to patch this. Because when they patched Jedi Survivor's performance mode, I basically stopped playing Final Fantasy 16, and then I beat, I played and beat Jedi Survivor. And Final Fantasy 16, like, I was loving that game. It's one of my favorite games that's in the backlog, kind of waiting for me to scoop it back up again. And... Like, I recently picked up Death's Door. If I've got, like, you know, 45 minutes to play a game, it's a great game to chisel away at. And I'm near... I'm at the end now. I'm at, like, the final boss fight. And that has just been an amazing game. That game has been so pleasant. It's it's just wonderful. Highly recommend Death's Door. You think it will buff the PSVR 2 performance? It, It will be able to, Jake, but I don't know if PlayStation cares about that. I think PlayStation is going to lean on third party for PSVR 2. I think that I don't think they're interested in investing their own time and studio uh, studio time and money into PSVR 2. PSVR 2 is not a profit mover for them. So, it's not a priority right now. If you're trying to lower operating costs and increase profitability, VR is the last thing they're going to focus on. Oh, I forgot to move this when uh when Street Shadow became a member, it bumped the line to 113. We're 12 members away from another milestone where I have to give five members. If you guys want to pull some more people in to this members-only Q&A that we're doing right now, Light Leap with 32 months. Because of you, I got into Helldivers. Finally a game I enjoy again. Can't wait to have time to jump into Community Game Night. Hope fam as well. Yo, Leap, I hope you can play one night. That'd be so fun. Keep your eye on Discord. Sometimes Madam and I jump into play, and I'll ping the Discord and let people join us. So keep your eyes peeled on that Helldivers room. VR is a long-term market play. I think it is, Eugene, and I think right now it's not a priority for their investment in their spending. I think they're going to lean on PC and third party so that way they stay in the market. Like right now, if they can become one of the VR units that people think of when they're like, oh, I'm into VR, I'm into PC VR, that's good, right? It's a, it's a great device. It's really good. It's really strong. It's got great controllers and it's got the haptic in the headset. So I think that's their goal. I, I think we could see first party PSVR 2 titles in the future, but it's not, it's not their focus right now. I think that's why we saw some of the layoffs and some of the closure. It's like, what's the point of this? This is not profit generating right now. Lord Horg, what did you say? Nightbot hit you. You said, this is doom and gloom about video games. If pull off that jaded just find new hobby it ain't that bad oh sorry lord horg you put put dot off and it thought you were trying to put a hyperlink 
AOZ says, this is the best live show on YouTube for game news. I appreciate that. I do. VR won't take off into the mainstream until they're on Ready Player One type time. I think the greatest barrier for VR adoption is not cost. It's not. It's experience. People need to be able to go to the store and put something on their head or face that is not cumbersome. They've gotten better. They are. They're very comfortable, but they're pretty heavy. That's always going to be a challenge. Because if you want it to be, you know, good at its job, you know, electronics start to weigh. <laughs> Especially if it's an all-in-one. And secondly, the form factor and all that needs to be comfortable and light, which is a huge challenge. But secondly, they need to have advancements in motion sickness or, uh, yeah, motion sickness mitigation. They've got to be able to minimize that. Now, they've come up with ways to do that. They blur the edges when you move, uh, snap turning, there's a lot of uh, what's called comfort settings that you can turn on so that when you play VR, it minimizes the sense of motion. That is at a software level that they're doing that. They're figuring out ways to sort of rein in the sense of motion. But here's the problem with that. One of the selling points of VR is that you feel like you're moving around in a three-dimensional space. So they're going to have to figure out a way at a technical level how to trick your brain, basically. That's an advancement that is needed, I think, for VR adoption. You need to be able to promote a VR headset by saying it's light, it's comfortable, and we've developed proprietary technology to minimize motion sickness. Like, until that happens, you're always going to have people put the headset on, they're going to take a couple steps, they're going to feel woozy, and then they're going to take it off and be like, I don't want to do this. My wife walked around for five minutes in a game with a tutorial and reloaded a weapon, and she's like, I can't do this, and she took it off. I th- There's... There's no path forward for VR that doesn't solve that problem. Because if you can't get good market adoption, you're not going to get publishers to care. Like, it's always going to be smaller, you know, not as polished, not as great with respect to production. That's what you're going to get. Like, look at what happened with the Assassin's Creed game. It's a pretty good looking VR game. It felt good to be in there. felt good to move around. And they're like, we didn't sell enough. There you go. Maybe cloud could save VR. Well, here's where cloud could help VR. It could make the headset incredibly light because it wouldn't need much processing power. It wouldn't. You would need really, really great displays and really, really fast Wi-Fi and some type of an audio, you know, some type of a sound card, Bluetooth or wired, whatever. That's all you'd need. You don't need some crazy good GPU, CPU. You know what else is going to help VR? I'll tell you what else is going to help VR is mobile phones and handhelds. 
because if mobile phones and handhelds can push the technology forward to make this thing really strong like strong enough to play like an actual bona fide video game that could potentially help VR as well because putting this on my face wouldn't weigh that much right you put you put a PSVR 2 on your head you put a MetaQuest 3 on your head they're 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 heavy they're kind of big now they're comfortable but they're kind of heavy you put something on your head that's like putting on a pair of big glasses or something and you're going to think differently about it especially if they can develop technology to minimize motion sickness to say you know you're not going to feel woozy you're not going to feel weird when you do this Murph Dog with 29 months. Keep in mind that it's up to the devs to create a game that controls correctly in VR. Just look at Valve and the dev behind Hot Dogs, Horseshoes, and Hand Grenades. Those are the baseline. I'm actually excited to use my PSVR 2 to play games like uh, Half-Life Alex and some of the other games we've heard that are really good on PC because the real, real thing that frustrated me last year was we kept getting ports that weren't ready, like Vertigo 2. It's like, I played it for one afternoon and it had so many problems and glitchy things and rough edges. It was like, I, I don't want to play this. And then what, I'm supposed to follow you on Twitter to be like, well, when, when are you going to patch it? How soon are you going to patch it? So then I got to boot the game back up and check it and make sure, like, Call the Mountain was great. Synapse was great. I didn't have to play those games day one and like eat around the eat around the fat and the rough edges. They were just great out of the box. I noticed some uh, more smaller VR titles in PS came from EU indie devs. You can register easily as an individual in EU in Japan. US needs incentives with grants and PlayStation US needs to add individual partners. Some people will always have that issue with the visual to inner ear disconnect. I don't know if I want to agree with they'll always have that issue. Again, Siege, if they can develop some kind of technology that tricks your brain, right? Is there something they can do with headphones? Right? Is there technology that needs to be developed with maybe vibration or sound or is there some way to manipulate your inner ear with sound or vibration or something to minimize that disconnect you know what I'm saying like I am not at all an expert in that field but I feel like they'll be able to figure something out I don't think they're just gonna you know well yeah this is always gonna be we're always gonna deal with this you know I don't know. I think they can come up with something, personally. Yeah, the PSVR 2 cable is is plenty long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting in uh, into full dive VR there. Lona, what do you think? If Conghort hits... It gives PlayStation a platform to release numerous smaller games like Concord and Helldivers to release as much as the big narrative-driven games. Balance is key. Well, and I think Herman Holst touched on that when he said, you know, they want to kind of reevaluate how they bring those games to market. And if they're analyzing, you know, budgets and operating costs and, you know, they're looking at a game like Tsushima and they're looking at Spider-Man and then they are. They're looking at those smaller studios Yep, they're probably analyzing that and thinking, 
Is there ways to bring the market, you know, the game to market faster? Are there creative things we can do like they were seemingly planning or entertaining or thinking about with Spider-Man 3? You know, making maybe a slightly smaller part one and selling it for $50 might be more manageable, more shippable, um, which then would alleviate some of the some of the timing and parallel development. Like if they want to do day and date with Spider-Man 3, and they want to do this part one, part two thing where they sell part one for 50 bucks, that might offload some of the pain of established game, established engine, established systems. We've It's already been ported before. Remember when <clears throat> they ported God of War 2018 and they did an interview with one of the devs and she indicated that they had changed some things in the pipeline of Ragnarok because of what they learned porting the game to PC. Well, what that means is they probably have learned some less lessons like engine level uh, where they can make the game more agile or portable with respect to bringing it to PC, making day and date less of a challenge, especially if scope of the project is going to shrink and say you're going to get more of a Miles Morales size game for part one and part two, well, when you smash those two together, the net is you get more game. You're going to spend more, right? 50 and 50 is 100, but 50 this year and 50 next year is is probably pretty pretty compelling to people. If you've got 70 and $80 games in the market and Spider-Man 3 sitting there, Spider-Man 3 part one is, you know, $50. So I think we got a glimpse into what Herman Hulse was talking about when he said, you know, they want to reevaluate how they bring these games to market. And this is something that I've talked about a lot with the interest that these companies have in live service. If you take a look at a game like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the time and energy and bandwidth that went into making that game and then just sort of being like, yep, that's the game. Maybe they do one DLC or something. But instead, they looked at the game as like, why don't we just keep doing things in the game that we've built? I think Valhalla is going to influence other games as well because we've, we've talked about this. The idea of spending five or six years to make some massive thing, it's relevant for two weeks, and then that's it. Maybe you do one DLC later. I think the days of that, I just think that that's going away. I think you're going to see more and more games say either, 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 you know, we're going to do a narrative-driven game that lands in the 20 to 30-hour range, or if we do some big open world, like Horizon Forbidden West is an example, maybe their online game is going to largely glean from the world they already built. They already have the movesets and the the assets of the world and the enemies so why not leverage that instead of just being like yep no it's time to move on to the third game and if you move on to the third game you're going to need a whole new map and you're going to need a whole new story and all these areas and it's like you know, imagine if Horizon Forbidden West suddenly turned on multiplayer and they did events and they did things in the game and the map was changing and they were adding content and giving you things to do, right? Basically squeezing capital out of this massive world that they build. I, I think we're going to see more of that. I think what people don't realize is 
games got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and all of a sudden these devs realized wait a minute we used to build a game in this much time and spend this much money and we would only need to sell this many copies but now that we're making a game that's this big and takes this much time we need to sell more copies well that's difficult to do what are you going to do? You just be like, here's another Far Cry. Here's another Assassin's Creed. Hopefully it sells way more than the last one because it was way more expensive to make. That's why you started seeing pre-order bonuses, monetization, XP boosts, cosmetics. Why? The game costs more money. The game was bigger. Where, where are they going to make that money from? How are they going to make that money back? Most games don't need to be 70 hours. I think the sweet spot for a game like Assassin's Creed is you launch it, this huge massive world, and campaigns around 20 hours. And your big massive open world doesn't need to have what we call, you know, Ubisoft map puke, where they just bleh, there's like the map is just covered in stuff. You can add those things later. Those villages, those missions, those whatever. So the map can be more manageable. The game can be more manageable. Full price game, solid solid campaign. And then you start adding content. You've created a big world. Start adding content. You start selling either a DLC or seasons or whatever. And if people are like, oh, I hate that. Fine, don't buy it. Don't play it. The core product that you bought at the beginning, you got value transmission on. You got a good experience. Did I not turn on? I don't think I turned on the scene switcher today. Nope, I didn't. You guys have not once gotten a camera swap today. Whoops. People complain about Spider-Man 2, but Miles and Spidey 2 were such a relief. Yeah, I'm of the same opinion. Once you get beyond 25 hours, I'm like, all right, it's time to wrap it up. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to play a 40-hour campaign. Again, once you like, once you get past that twenty-five hour mark, I'm like, it's time to wrap it up. I'm good. I've had I've had my fill of this. Like, imagine a really good movie. What's what's a movie that you watched recently that you really really liked? Like, my wife and I really really liked the latest Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell. They're just gorgeous and fun, and it was a great movie, and the action was awesome, and. Tom Cruise is just having a moment, right? Pretty long movie. Well, as much as I was enjoying it, I think my enjoyment would have started to tail down and even nosedive at some point if it was like a five to six hour long movie. Right? Like, you get to a point where you're like, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Right? Like, Lord of the Rings movies, we have the extended editions, and we always break them in half always because it's like I get to a point where I'm like I'm good I'm good I've, I'm, I want this to end now I don't want to keep watching and I'm that way with uh, with video games as well yeah I saw Dune part one yeah I've actually been wanting to rewatch it I've been wanting to rewatch it that's how Days Gone felt too long I really liked Days Gone I actually didn't finish it but 
I really like Days Gone. I wish I could have finished it because I started playing it on PC and then I was having some issues with my PC and so it just turned me off and we fixed those issues but by the time we fixed them other other games have come out. Um, But I think the slow start in Days Gone I liked it but I think it probably ultimately hurt it um, in the long run. I think it probably hurt it for some people. It just took too long to get going. Yeah, Ultros is a really cool Metroidvania. I've only managed to put about an hour into it, but very, very cool. I really, I was, I was enjoying it. It was, um, it was actually interesting. Um, actually, I probably am going to have to turn the music off in this Star Wars game, right? We're going to get copyright claims, I'm assuming. Are people getting copyright claims when they play Star Wars Dark Forces Remaster? I'm just going to turn it down just to be careful. Because when it first turned on, they were playing like the original John Williams music. And anytime we played Lego's uh, Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, we had to turn the music off. That's always a pain when you play a Star Wars video game. Remedy has bought all rights to the Control franchise from 505 Games for 17 million euro, including the original game, its sequel, and its multiplayer spinoff, Condor. I haven't had a chance to play Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. I I wish it was on console because I could play it casually on my couch. Like I don't really come into the office to play video games. I'm just not, I just don't do it. I'm not set up for it. So, I am going to schedule a stream for Star Wars Dark Forces Remaster. We're going to check it out. We'll probably play for about an hour or so. We like to feature gameplay on the stream. Support for gameplay lately has been really good, and we greatly appreciate that. And we are going to set that up. Now, you guys, I'm going to give you like six minutes. If you want to push this to 125, we need 12 more members. If not, that's totally fine. Killer day. If you guys haven't pressed the like button, do me a favor and do that. We get a lot of, um, we get a lot of hate watchers on days like today and they don't push the like button because they don't like me. Right. So help us out there and, uh, and make sure you have done, done your like press and make sure it saved your like as well. We have had some instances where people are like, I swear I hit the like button and then it's like, it doesn't save it. It's been happening to me uh, when I watch some of the content that I like that's out there. So double check that. And let me get this set up here. And I didn't type up any tags. Give me one second. Um... I forgot to create tags for the video game stream which is interesting I usually do that I'm not used to writing up uh, double streams but we've been doing a lot of double streams recently 
where typically what we would do uh, for a while there is we were going from um, the live stream in the morning and we would go to a premiere and we haven't done that in a while we are going to do uploads and premieres from time to time but we've scaled back a teeny bit on that so excited for the remaster music yeah sadly you're not going to be able to hear it because I'm not going to sit here and put up with copyright claims from, from LucasArts set up redirect okay you're playing this I am I'm gonna play it uh I play on normal average difficulty whatever this is an FYI in case you change settings I haven't changed anything other than, um, oh, you're talking to somebody about something else, I think, about like how long it takes you to complete games, maybe. Yo, J-Dog bumps the line by one, takes us to 114 members on the day. If we hit 125, I have to gift another five. Thank you so much, sir. If therapy in 15 minutes, I'll have to come back and watch. Word. Seems like I'll have to book a session just to talk to you sometime. I'm just kidding. Uh, Seems like you've been busy. That's good. More work is a good thing. All right, let me change the featured video on the channel as well. Bam. Hey, Patrick Q gifts another one. Setting it up, 115 out of 125. These guys know what they're doing. They're attempting a big boy to drop a 10 bomb. Appreciate you so, so much, guys. Thank you for doing that. We're going to shift gears here in a brief moment. And I am sorry about we're, about the fact that we're not going to have um, the music. Uh, I just I don't like my content having that done to it it's super annoying um so and i am gonna change glasses i like these glasses uh they're very like old school nerd but the uh the sides are so like thick that they end up getting they end up getting pressed on by the uh the headphones like to catch up though it's been nice being back yeah for sure oh there it is <laughs> Cardock Ren with the 10 bomb says I'll take that action and I now owe you guys 5 what a lovely day maintaining 3,000 members you guys are the absolute best let me go ahead and slam my 5 on top of that and there we go There's the five that I owe. 
Glasses remind me of my dad reading the newspaper at the kitchen table. Well, you know, hopefully that's not triggering. You know, hopefully you liked your dad. You know, you can't call you cannot call me daddy. That's not allowed. But glad to uh, hopefully bring back good memories. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I'm going to quickly, I don't like doing this. I don't like taking breaks in live streams, but I don't want to have to take one when I'm in this game. Um, so give me a brief second. I'm going to run upstairs, quickly use the restroom, stretch my legs, and we're going to come back and we're going to dive into Star Wars Dark Forces Remastered. And then we'll go to Ryder's room. Appreciate you guys all so much. Give me, give me like one minute. I'll be right back.
Okay. Somebody says, you call other men daddy all the time? Yeah, well, that's different, though. I'm just kidding. I mean, you can call me daddy if you want, but, <clears throat> you know. All right, I'm going to put a link in chat. I'm also going to send a tweet. All right, the link in chat is where we are headed. I'll send an announcement in the Discord. Okay. Yeah, that's the wrong account. Okay. Star Wars. What did I name this screen? Okay. Boop, 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 boop. Alright, here we go. Let me do this and do this. Okay. I made a comment appreciating your stream on YouTube and the reply was something about your cash reserves fundraising so I have to assume hate watchers are envious your sounding memberships hall. Yeah, I always find it interesting that people with much larger channels than me are constantly pocket watching me. That's interesting, isn't it? Not a very big channel, but you know, haters gonna hate. Jealous is an ugly color. All right, link is in the chat. I'm gonna go live and redirect. If redirect doesn't work, it'll also be the featured video on the channel. Hey, thanks so much for checking out this gameplay video. We're going to be checking out Star Wars Dark Forces Remastered. I am playing on the PS5. Now I am going to turn, sadly, I am going to turn the music off. Anytime we played Star Wars games before, like the Lego Skywalker Saga, we get muted, we get copyright claims, and it kills the video when that happens. So I am sorry about that. If you're interested in the music, you're going to have to get the game yourself, but we're going to check it out and how it plays and uh, we're going to confirm this mission, and we're going to get started. And it says that we're on easy, medium, or oh, difficulty. I can change with square. Uh, let's bump it to 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 medium. Let's start. Oh gosh! Oh my goodness! This this oh motion controls are on. We're going to have to turn that off. Okay, I am sorry if that blew your eardrums out. I'm going to end the previous stream and bring everybody over with a redirect.